0: It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas
1: Ross is sounding pretty scared. I
0: believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal.
2: Hello and welcome to another Planet Hollywood. I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of the Daily Record. Joining me on this bitter cold day are Planet Hollywood regulars. We've got uh, Hannah Roger, who is of course the chief reporter at the Sunday Mail, and we've got Ben Borland, the Scottish Daily Express's editor. So, although the podcast title suggests we only look at Holyrood, clearly much of what happens at Westminster still affects Scotland. The big story this week was, of course, Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement and the range of so-called goodies that he's handed out to people across the UK. So, I'm just trying to think. Of a summary: There's a two percent cut in national insurance that applies to everyone across the UK. There's a clampdown on some social security claimants. Alcohol duty was frozen, and I think there's about half a billion quid extra for Holyrood over two years. So, Hannah, just starting with you: Is this a game-changing? Announcement from the Tories that will propel them to victory at the next election, or is it just more of the same shoveling more money to people who don't need it?
1: Well, I don't think it's game changing in any sense. I don't think, I mean, I don't think it was there was any kind of massive, sorry, my cat has decided to jump on me while I'm answering this question. I don't think it, w- it was particularly game changing. I do think it's the budget that should have probably been brought in last year instead of that idiotic quasi quarting and Liz Trust disaster. Um, but you know, I, I I find it interesting that the Tories are sort of touting this as um, tax cuts, and you know, oh, it will be amazing for jobs and businesses, etc when, well, hardly anyone's talking about the fact that it's going to end up pushing more people into higher tax brackets, and therefore they're going to have to pay more tax in the end. I think it's been quite sneaky.
2: Yeah, like over a few years, it's the case, isn't it? If you look at fiscal drag and other tax changes, it probably is a tax-rising government than a tax-cutting budget government, Hannah.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Um, You know, so... I would say it is pretty sneaky Um, and it's certainly not enough to save the Tories at the next election. But, you know, uh, anyone who listens to this podcast uh, uh, in any way regularly will know that I don't think that the Tories are going to remain in number 10 after next year. I do think that, you know, it's interesting in terms of the timings of, of the general election there's been talk that you know this budget might indicate that, that we might actually be looking for an earlier, looking at an earlier election rather than one near Christmas time next year. I'm not entirely sure how they've come to that kind of conclusion necessarily, but the sooner it happens, the better, in my opinion.
2: Um, ben, I'll just read you a quote from uh, some research, a statement by the Resolution Foundation. Uh, this is their reaction to. The autumn statement. They say around forty percent of the gains from the tax and benefit measures announced in the autumn statement go to the richest fifth of the population. The top twenty percent gain one thousand pounds on average, five times the gains seen by the bottom fifth, which was two hundred pounds. I mean, this is just basically more bribes for Tory voters in a sort of desperate bid to keep them in the fold, isn't it?
0: Uh, no, <laughs> um, I think uh, you, uh, you you summarised the budget very well at the start there, Paul. But uh, for for me, I think you missed the the number one headline, which was the uh, the pension uh, state pension triple lock will go ahead last next year. Um, There's been a lot of speculation that it wouldn't do, but it looks as though pensioners- that's not
1: that they're just keeping something that they already have. It's not like they're saying, oh, we're giving you this extra thing. They're just saying we're not taking it away.
0: Well, the, the, the speculation was that it was going to be taken away. But, you know, the, the triple lock stays, 8.5% rise for, for pensioners, thanks largely to the, the Daily Express and our constant <laughs> campaigning to, to ensure that we hold the Conservative government to account and, mm-hmm. and ensure that they do keep their promise, um, our region. Are delighted. I can uh, safely say, having seen some of the letters and emails that come in, that that the state pension is protected. Um, so, so I think that's the that for, for us certainly that's the headline giveaway. the the, the national insurance cuts I think is you know it's good news. Um, I think other other think tanks and other reports have uh, shown that the UK is. Uh, the, the tax burden, I think is the highest it's ever been in in you know the history of sort of a modern e- modern British economy. we are now paying more tax than ever before. and that's that's, that's the- a new
2: Tories, though isn't it? I mean that, that, you know they introduced those taxes and they were supposed to be grateful that they're cutting
0: them a wee bit. Well, the Tories have been in government for thirteen years. It could hardly have been anyone else who's introduced the taxes, you know that, yes but my point, point is the all, Tories inherited an incredible mess financially from labor
1: you can't say oh this is actually they're they're undoing the mess of labor they've had 13 years oh of no the,
0: no but you know but the, the the tax burdens built up over the past 13 years and, and during the the early part of the current or not the current administration but during the early part of those 13 years it was uh, largely dealing with the fallout from the credit crunch. I mean, it all seems very long ago now, but, you know... The, the, if, are... you go
2: down,
1: if you go down that route, where does it stop? Because then you could say, oh, well, you know, Labour had inherited a bad situation from the previous Tory government, and then,
0: you know, I just yeah, think... Oh, no no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to explain, you know, what, why the tax burden's so high, and it's good mm-hmm. that it's finally starting to come down. And, and, of course, the one thing that wasn't really mentioned uh, Westminster, because it's Westminster, it's not Holyrood, is that if, if if people in England, Wales and Northern Ireland are paying a record high amount in taxes, um, us in Scotland are paying even more because we, we've got this, you know, a, anyone earning over 28000 is a, is paying more than they would if they had the same job elsewhere. And I think the big fear, the big takeaway fear for me from the, the budget is that any gains that um, that, that people do make from the national insurance cuts are going to be wiped out by the SNP on the 19th of December when Shona Robison uh, further pushes uh, taxes on middle and high earners, if, if you can call someone on 28K a year a middle earner? Well, I think they've said that they're looking at a higher rate
2: of tax for earnings over 75K, so I'm not sure that that would be someone on a middle income wage. And you know you're talking about tax cuts by the Tories. I mean, most of that will probably go when those pensioners visit the shops, and the inflation that's already been built in, um, they'll, they'll get clobbered in that high inflation. So, um, well, that, I, I'm not, I'm yeah, not convinced. Yeah, I mean, pensioners will see
0: that that big gain that everyone thinks they're going to get. But it's, but it's better than not getting a big gain and still getting clobbered. I mean, prices are going to go up no matter what happens. So, well, I mean, we saw
1: you, that. As well, yesterday, or was it yet? No. Oh, it was yesterday when they announced the energy price cap is going to be going up as well. So, you know, that's exactly what you're talking about in terms of, like, if there's any savings to be made to the average household, it's kind of going to be wiped out by yeah. the rate of inflation. So I get what you're saying. It's better to have some savings than than not, but the reality is everyone's still going to continue to be skint
0: well yeah but i mean it's off gem put the energy price cap out there it's not a government no i know
1: but i'm just saying like it's not a choice what, yeah
0: absolutely We're, you know we are still in you know some pretty uh ropey uh you know pretty ropey situation when it comes to the cost of living crisis it's ongoing inflation is still too high it's still more than twice the target it, it, it's tough and you know the the these rises will be wiped out, but they're better than not having the rises at all. Ben,
2: I mean, clearly, the, the Tories at one point thought that that their policy on stopping the boats was going to be a big election winner for them. That that seems to be just now. They sort of dabbled with a war on woke. That's kind of evaporated as, as well, a wee bit. They, they seem to be pinning their election hopes on you know inflation falling and then some tax cuts from January onwards and then maybe um, some in the spring as well. Do you think that's going to be enough to sort of narrow the gap and then see them home in a a general election campaign?
0: No, I don't don't think so. I think, I mean, I mentioned it last week with David Cameron coming back. It looks as though the Conservatives are kind of moving back towards the centre ground and hoping that the kind of reputation of a safe pair of hands with the economy... Will will we'll get them home. I think it's the right tactic. I think I agree with Hannah. Though it should have been adopted last year. I mean, it should have been it should have been a, You know, we should never have moved away from this ground because Labour have occupied it. Rachel Reeves, who's who's very impressive, but doesn't sound to me like a, an old fashioned Labour chancellor in waiting. You know, I'm pretty sure she could be a, a very successful Conservative chancellor. I, I didn't hear an awful lot of disagreement, apart from on a few, you know, minor issues of policy. I, I, I don't think Labour would would have done a lot different to, to what the Tories did yesterday. Um, Listen,
2: well, folks folk said the same about Gordon Brown in the nineties. He turned out to be the most redistributive Chancellor in about fifty years. Um, no, so I, you know I think, I think he got all our gold,
0: didn't he? Well, I, mean, I think her, her,
2: her public statements are clearly designed to, to appeal to certain types of voter. Um, but, uh, you know, when if Labour win and we see that uh, VAT on private school fees, we'll see um, how often she gets uh, described as a socialist.
0: Um, <laughs> yes.
2: and I think, I suppose, you know, from a certain left perspective, it could have been worse. I mean, Hunt could have gone for the inheritance tax cut over the national insurance cut. Um Thankfully, they, they, they moved
1: away from that. I mean, sure,
2: yeah. <laughs> you know, Silver linings.
1: Yeah, I just think, you know, like you were saying, the, the Resolution Foundation kind of analysis and statement, it kind of hits the nail on the head, you know. When we see this time and again with the Tories, whenever they do have a budget, it always ends up, you know, making... Either making rich people richer and poor people poorer, or making rich making everyone maybe a little bit richer, but actually making the rich people much richer in comparison to making the poor people, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it's, I don't think we can celebrate the fact that they haven't targeted inheritance tax. And, you know, I just don't, I don't know. I don't think that's something to celebrate. It's the same way as you I don't
2: celebrate, but you know, it could have been worse, you know. Well, like, um, yeah, it could
1: have been worse, but that's like saying, you know, oh, they've kept the triple lock on pensions, you know. Yes, like I'm not going to delve into conspiracy theories or anything like this, but you could say that there's been a ruse to make people think that they were going to take it away, and then when they didn't take it away it would make everyone happy that they didn't take it away. Like Ben, for example. Ben is delighted that they've kept the thing that they already had. Um, No, no, that, that, you know,
2: if if what you're saying is true, that would mean that the Tories are deeply cynical. Are you seriously suggesting that?
1: Well, no. But, you know, we've we've seen it kind of... I mean, this is what happens, right? This is what happens with governments. They kind of leak out ideas, theories, you know, to try and test the water to see what the reaction is. I mean, you see it all the time. Like you saw it with um, Pretty Patel when she was t- saying that she was going to use decommissioned ferries and oil rigs to put uh, asylum seekers on you know, and it's to to test the reaction from politicians from within the own their own party with the public, etc. And then they think, oh, this reaction's a bit too strong. We better roll back on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's potentially what has been happening here. So I'm not I'm not gonna say, oh yes, thank you so much for keeping the triple lock on pensions, because they shouldn't be getting rid of it anyway.
0: Um,
2: moving on. Ben, it was a big story yesterday. It was actually broken by our very own Chris McCall. He got it first. Um, the last remaining oil refinery is going to be at Grangemouth in a couple of years. Uh, obviously, this will impact on hundreds of jobs, and it's a bit of a devastating blow for industrial Scotland. Uh, what are your thoughts on this?
0: Uh, yeah, uh- De- devastating. I um, don't really understand the economics behind it, given that the oil is coming from the North Sea down the Forties Pipeline to Grangemouth. Uh, you'd think that would be the the, the last refinery to close. Um, <sighs>
2: Folk are trying to blame the the S N P government and their stance on net zero, but this this is related to like <laughs> economics and the fact that, that the company owner just doesn't think it's viable more than anything that government. I, I
0: think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the S N P government, particularly in the last couple of years since the deal with the Greens, has made it a particularly attractive place for a fossil fuels giant to do business. Um, So in that case, you you, you can argue, and I think it's, you know, totally accurate to say that the Scottish Government have have created quite a hostile atmosphere for INEOS and and the other uh, petrochemical and and fossil fuel firms to operate in. Um, But I'm I'm pretty sure Jim Ratcliffe is big enough to to ignore what, um, you know, what Patrick Harvey thinks about fossil fuels and continue to operate Grangemouth if it, if it made economic sense to do so. Um, but it hasn't helped at all. It's helped at all. Um, I mean, I hope I, basing this on nothing other than previous Grangemouth kind of uh, stories. I, I do hope that there's, a there's an element here that obviously this is, quite a, a long time frame and, and maybe there's a chance to to, to get this decision reversed. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that the Scottish Government will pursue that as aggressively as they possibly can and if that means you know committing to a, a long term future for North Sea oil and gas then then, then so be it because um, with the sort of 18 month lead up to, to the, the refinery being closed down just think, there's a there's an opportunity there to say, look, let's get around the table. Let's try and hammer out another ten years, uh, another fifteen years out of this refinery. Keep these, I think, five hundred and fifty direct jobs. Keep keep them going, and um, you know, do support think, the local economy.
1: Do you not think it kind of says a lot about you know what business potentially thinks of the SNP? I mean, we that may be a bit too kind of broad, but we we know that the SNP is kind of aware that it's got an issue in terms of how it appeals to business and it's not seen as particularly strong uh, in terms of taking business incentives and, you know, that sort of thing. And I just wonder, is this, you know, just the latest example, are we going to see more kind of large companies pulling out of Scotland, shutting down their stuff, or do you think this is just a one-off? I don't know.
2: I don't know, I just think with, with business, they want to be left alone. Um, yeah. There's probably a few examples of where direct policies by the Scottish Government, like DRS, have maybe harmed specific sectors and businesses. But yeah. well, by and large, I, I don't think the, the Scottish Government has an agenda that is kind of pro or anti-business. They're just kind of no, more, they... more asleep at the wheel than anything else.
1: Yeah, but then you look at things like the DRS scheme, which was so disastrous and, you know, that must have had an impact. It must have had an impact on confidence um, from business. But I'm not saying, you know, the SNP government has a an agenda that's anti-business. I mean, that would be kind of stupid, right? But, um, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, it's I agree with Ben, actually, for once in that I think, you know, Because it's such a long time frame, hopefully, a resolution can be reached before it does shut down and those five hundred and fifty people lose their jobs. Because that would be absolutely appalling. Um, Yeah.
2: What what do you make, Hannah? What do you make of it? Obviously, it's a disaster in terms of the jobs, but the fossil fuel industry is filthy, and it's it's a disastrous. Um, industry in relation to climate change and of so mm-hmm. damage it does what do you make of uh, is there a potential here in terms of um net zero and the so-called just transition maybe moving to cleaner energies
1: i mean to be honest I, i'll just hold my hands up i'm not an expert in green energy and just transition etc i mean i do think obviously at some point there will need to it'll need to come to a point where we stop relying on these polluting fuels and, and industries. But from a fairly basic knowledge of the problem, I don't see anyone coming up with a solution. So the the thing that you hear all the time is, oh, we need a just transition, we need to move away from oil and gas, we need to move away from X, Y and Z. Yes, that's great, but what are the, what's the alternative? Like, that's what I'm kind of confused about. You know, it was the same with the the North Sea oil and gas stuff. It's like, right? So, are you saying that all the workers who work in North Sea oil are just going to suddenly start working in a different industry? I don't, I, you know, that. No, me, I mean,
2: I, I think that like phrases like "just transition" are kind of slogans.
1: yeah, much- I mean, what does that even mean? Just transition. No. Just transition what?
2: I mean, you know, people can see it, but in terms of jobs on the ground, it just seems to be nonsense. Yeah, but my
1: point anyway is I I do agree. I think that obviously we know that these these things are polluting to the environment, but as far as I can tell, I, I don't know what the alternatives are. It just seems everyone wants to stop using them, but I don't know. I haven't seen any proposals for, you know, an alternative that could be done to that scale and provide the same level of energy or whatever the fuel might be um in a green way i don't know it could i mean yeah i'll be honest that it could be that i just don't know because i'm not as i say an expert in that area but i just don't see them having a, a sort of viable
0: alternative to it right now um, no. and sorry then you go sorry. I was just going to say, I think 70% of Scotland's filling stations get the petrol and diesel from, from Grangemouth. We're just not in a position right now to, to close this refinery. Um, mm-hmm. Those petrol stations are going to need to get the fuel from somewhere else. It's going to have to be shipped up from down south. Mm-hmm. And, you know, clearly the country needs this, this refinery working. At some point... As, as we move towards net zero, these refineries will close, but we're nowhere near that point at the moment. And just to go back to the, the relationship with business, mm. I, I get the feeling that, I mean, whatever you think about Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos, I don't think the Scottish government have done anything to kind of build a relationship with him in the way that they, they, you see ministers, you know they'll travel to China to, to do deals with, um, renewables companies that, that travel the world looking for a, 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 a memorandum of understanding with with a a, a, foreign, <laughs> a foreign nation over renewables but memorandum of understanding. Yeah, he is he, he is Britain's richest man, based just across the border in Manchester, and uh, uh, basically is he based
2: in Manchester? I thought he was based in. Uh,
0: well, sorry, no, he's based Stevens. in Monaco, but he's, yeah, from- he's, based in, he's not based in Manchester. No, he's, he's based in Monaco. But but either way, they have clearly Grangemouth. I think I've seen stats that may or may not be true that it's responsible for 4% of GDP. I mean, Jim Radcliffe should have been invited to Butte House for dinner every other month. He should have, they should have been rolling out the red carpet for him. And they basically well. ignored him.
2: Well, I mean, I reckon, Ratcliffe,
0: if you got an invitation, you'd be like, well, why would I want to go? What are you going to do for me? That's the business thing. It's, it's kind of where Salmon, you know, in the early years of the SMP, Salmon was very good at this. He was offering business incentives to come here. Now, sometimes that backfired and he got into trouble for perhaps overstepping the mark, but he, he was trying to create a business friendly environment. Sturgeon clearly had no interest in that. Humza Yusuf just seems utterly clueless about anything. And, you know, we've lost that 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 uh, kind of motivation to make Scotland business-friendly.
2: And- um, you know, just, just moving on, Ben, just another story that caught my eye because we've um, only got about six minutes left. Um, <laughs> Lee Anderson, uh, who... I'm told is a Tory MP, but is also clearly a clown, was talking about the government's collapsing Rwanda policy for asylum seekers. And he's basically suggested an alternative, which is instead of sending asylum seekers to um, Africa, uh, they should instead be sent to Orkney. What do you make of that?
1: Can I please
2: on you go So
1: I think that Lee Anderson has read my story that I wrote when I was working in Westminster, which said that the um, the UK government were considering using remote Scottish islands to house asylum seekers. I think that that's where he's got that from. I also so you, think Lee they, Ander-
2: you, you've given him the idea.
1: It was me, it was my idea. No, <laughs> um, no. Lee Anderson is, what is the term, one that we can oh, actually oh. use? Oh. Yeah, but he's one of these, he, he says things in a way that I think comes across as, oh, I, I'm just saying what the average person thinks and I'm plain speaking, blah, blah, and it generates all these ridiculous headlines. He knows fine well that, that what he says is never going to happen. I mean, he's the the MP who suggested that anyone who goes to a food bank is only doing so because they don't know how to cook. I mean, this guy has probably got one brain cell. He just shouldn't be an MP. Um a wind-up merchant, yeah.
2: isn't he? He's what? He's a wind-up merchant.
1: Ah, he's just bamming everybody up all the time, but like, I just think he's not to be taken seriously at all. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure people in Orkney would welcome asylum seekers and refugees, but it's not about that. It's just about some idiot making comments that he <laughs> thinks are funny that will generate headlines. But ben, he's
2: copied um, from me. Exactly. So, you know, th- thanks, Hannah, for um, giving them that idea. Um, yeah. Ben, as we all know in this trade, press offices can sometimes be quite slow to issue statements, but the Scottish Tories very swiftly issued a statement on this story. They said, this suggestion has no basis in fact and is not UK government policy. So I
0: can't see Lee Anderson getting invited up to Scottish Tory conference. Can you? Uh, I I, I like you. I think it was a bit of a wind-up. I did notice Lee Anderson posted on X, formerly Twitter this week, a, a photo of him uh posing, I probably should have warned uh, the production team in advance about this. I, I never thought, so apologies. Posing arm in arm with Ian Blackford. Oh, yes, and they, yes. And they, and they were both grinning like Cheshire cats, clearly very friendly. And and, and I think Anderson said something like, you know, he, he, he may be a, a villain in the house, but he's a thoroughly nice chap. Uh, behind the scenes. And I just thought probably that's kind of where Anderson's coming from. You know, he plays up to this uh, outspoken um, sort of Nigel Farage type character on the Tory right. Maybe it's just, you know, it's just an act. Um, Clearly Ian Blackford gets along with him. Maybe Ian Blackford, rather than Hannah Roger, gave him the idea um, of, of using Scottish islands um, when Maybe. when they had their little chat this week, um, but uh, I, I mean, seems to me it was a it, it was clearly a daft remark d- designed to grab some headlines and not and look you know, we're talking serious. about this. we've fallen into the trap amazing oh, yeah
1: but it. can I say I'm actually so gutted that we've spent half an hour rambling on about the budget and all these other things. And we haven't got to my favourite subject of the week. What's that? Michael Matheson.
2: Well, okay.
1: I mean, I'm um, sorry. It, like he me might you might not want to, he want to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about it, but I want to talk about it. I think it's Yeah, a yeah no, I want to
2: talk about it. I want to talk about it. Good. But Let's the, talk Michael about it then. You, what do you want to say about it?
1: Well, I just, I am, my, I'm gobsmacked that he's still in our job. And I think that, to be honest, I think on a more kind of serious note, I think that the the lack of kind of accountability for this shown by Michael Matheson is just another example of the standard that we're seeing in politicians and the fact that they think that they can get away with X, Y and Z and nothing will happen and everyone will forget about it and move on. I mean, we, we saw that in Westminster with the Tories under Boris Johnson particularly. He just thought, nah, I'm not going to follow the rules. And then we've got this clown who's thought it was okay to charge the taxpayer 11 grand. And then when he got found out, he lied about it. I mean, and he's still in his job.
2: I know, the brass neck of him. I mean, I think the key fact, or one of the key facts, is that he said that it was on the Thursday that he found out about the kids using it. But then... A few days ago, a few few days later on the Monday, he was asked directly by the press, "Was there any personal use?" And he said, "No." I mean, yeah. see so how that can be interpreted as anything other than a lie, and yet he's still in post. No, but I
1: think also at this point, you know, as much as Hamza Yusuf wants this issue to go away, and Michael Matheson clearly does as well, given his response to any journalists who ask him about it. I think you know we've had PMQs. Not PMQs, FMQs, sorry, today. And it was still on the agenda. And I think that actually it's just making Hamza Yusuf look weak now as well. You know, he looks weak for standing behind him. He would look weak now for, for sacking him because he hasn't done it already. I just think he, it's complete political naivety the way he's handled this. And you know, I I can't understand it at all.
2: Then Humza had a pretty awful FMQs today. He was on the rack again. What, what worst
0: I've ever now. seen? Yeah, I mean what, it was worst
2: a, FMQs I've ever it seen. A, it was a really, really bad performance from him. Now, the new development this morning is that the corporate body of this is the Parliament's governing body have um, ordered a probe into uh, into this. That's not going to get to the bottom of it, is it? I mean, the, the Scottish no, Parliament. No, of course I mean,
1: it's not. No, it's just another way to kind of drag it on and hope that everyone forgets about it. And then by the time the probe is finished, you know, in in six months to a year, all the heat will have died down off of it. So everyone will just think, oh, well, you know, it's fine.
2: I know it's also a way of shutting it down, you know, because while this so-called probe is underway, Matheson and the First Minister will basically say we can't comment until this is over. The Parliament's not going to say anything they're not going to release anything under foi so it's a way of really putting in cool yeah, it's I,
0: I think um i think i you know hannah's right this is a very serious issue we could have dedicated the whole show to it i wish um, we had <laughs> i'm sure it won't go away I, i'll just say i i think this is a, a kind of symptom of the Utter sort of breakdown of democracy in Scotland. The, the, and it's only going to get worse. I don't we've think got, it's
1: just Scotland though, Ben.
0: Well, because, because we've got a first minister and a government that we didn't vote for. We voted for Nicola Sturgeon and her administration. That's gone. That's gone out the window. When the this happens, to the CINAC, though. But, it's not just a Scotland thing. But yeah, but we've got a general election next year. You know, the the whenever this happens. At Westminster, there is a clamour and an outcry, and uh, the democracy is under threat. It's happened, you know. This this is is not. We're not going to hold an election until twenty twenty-six. Brown. This is an unelected government running the country.
2: Brown took over um, back in two thousand seven. There wasn't an election. Uh, I think Truss took over. There was no election. Um, didn't Boris take over and there there wasn't an election? Yeah, he
1: took over from I like, I don't think that's. Yeah, the took in,
0: Boris took over in June and there was an election in December. Brown yeah, took over on the. Everyone voted in 2005 on the basis that Tony Blair was going to step down and hand over to Brown during that term. And it took him two years. It took him a lot longer than, than anyone expected. We've had four prime ministers,
2: you know, who are basically just not called an elections. I don't really see how it's simply a
0: Scotland issue. Well, because I there's always there's been an election, election within a, a reasonable amount of time. And I just think that, that with the, the Matheson issue, Yusuf Youssef um, covering up and orchestrating this cover-up about the renewables claim, I just think it's going to carry on and on because they're not held to account. The voters are never given the opportunity to pass a verdict on, on this, you know, this shower we've got in government, and we're, well, we're just not given the, we're not given the option. We've got to wait till May twenty twenty six.
1: Well, do you know what is supposed to happen though? Is that your MSP that you voted for should be the one who's expressing your views to the government? But as we know, and something that I say very often. You know, compared to Westminster, Hollywood, there is no no challenge. You know, you would never, apart from Fergus Ewing, who's now been, you know, essentially outcast from his own party. You you never see, and it's not just the SNP; it's Labour, it's the Tories as well. You never see any of the MSPs questioning or criticising their own party's policies or behaviours, and I think that is appalling. I think you know this is why people. Yeah, I think that's a much vote.
2: bigger issue. I do. I think. Yeah, percent
1: You know, but I'm saying. If, yeah, it's you that like, one.
2: You know, it's been like that from day one of the. Yeah, MP I think
1: period. it's embarrassing. You know, like in in Westminster at least, when Boris Johnson was, at you know at the end, and he was really just a disaster. All the ministers started resigning. His MP, his own MPs, were standing up in Parliament asking for him to go. You know, why the hell are SNP, MSPs not now publicly coming out and saying Michael Matheson must resign? He is damaging our reputation and the government. You know, I just think it's embarrassing that nobody has done that yet and they should be ashamed.
2: No, no, I agree. Um, Okay, winding it up, good week, bad week, starting with you, Hannah?
1: Well, my good week is... Both of these actually are, are are sarcastic, but my good week is Michael Matheson for managing to stay in his job uh, until now. So well done, well, Michael! Congratulations. Well done, Michael! Round of applause for you. Uh, and my bad week is basically working working people after well that that uh, shambles of a budget yesterday.
0: Ben. ben. <laughs> Well, segueing neatly into my good week, um, uh, got my conservative rosette on. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, I think, had a good week. I thought it was a good autumn statement. Um, You know, I I think, as I said before, Hannah was right. It's come. It's too little, too late. But I think Rishi Sunak and Hunt make a good team. They actually look like a, a a government. Probably too little, too late. But I think it was showing, you know, what we could have had last year or perhaps, you know, a few years ago. Um, In general, quite a sensible, measured budget. Um, Bad week on the same uh, theme. Shona Robison. uh, The ball is now in her court. Um, She's got to somehow balance the books and the... We were talking before about how the national insurance uh, giveaway could be wiped out by rising prices and inflation. Uh, it could be wiped out much sooner than that by Shona Robeson on December the 19th. And I think uh, they need to get out of this one. How, how can they avoid taking the money back that has just been handed to everyone and taking it back from... from Working people in Scotland, I think she's got a, a tough job to do. And um meanwhile, like folk are earning over seventy-five k a year. Well, let's you know, let's wait and see what the what what the actual tax decisions are. You know, it's, it's certainly it's it's certainly people who are earning a lot less than that who've been hammered in previous years. Um,
2: True,
0: you know, I think if you know, is just over seventy-five k, then then you know. I, I, I don't think anyone could complain too much
2: i think well, you know analysis on this budget stuff over the last few years we've had two tax raising uh, governments one in edinburgh and one in london um, you know they, they've both done it um, and uh anyway but anyway um so yeah good week bad week that's over and um, that's it for another week um Thank you for your um, moderate conservative opinions, Ben. Thank you, Hannah, for providing the progressive centre-left view as ever. You're um, welcome. I hope all the, the viewers enjoyed it, and um, I hope you tune in next week.
0: It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why?
1: Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared.
0: I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal.